everyone. Welcome to church. I'm excited about this new sermon series we're beginning today. It's called One. Somebody say One. I got the impression that there was great confirmation as I was listening to the worship this morning that this is the message that God has for us in this hour. And so I just want you to open your eyes, open your spiritual eyes, that is, and hear what the Lord is saying to us as we are moving forward in a new sermon series this morning. Now, we're about to explore what it looks like for us as believers and we are about to look at something that I think we have all slipped into, maybe not all, many of us have slipped into, and we're going to reevaluate how we can get back into position to where God actually wants us to be. And so we're going to look for a moment at what it means to live as one. What it means to live as one. It's one of the core values of American culture that we demonstrate great independence. We are taught from an early age to be self-sufficient, right? We are told to fend for ourselves. It's a sign of strength and maturity. Indeed, it is a preferred trait. Those who cannot go it alone are viewed as weak or the weakest link. They're less capable than those who can. And so we value independence and individualism above almost everything else. But we weren't created to live this way. It may feel counterintuitive, but the truth is we were created and called to live in community. Somebody say community. I'm going to make it a little bit more personal this time. You were created to live in community. In the, now, in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 18, you know God says it's not good for man to be alone. And that's not just because he may get lonely or need a buddy, but because God wired us to do life together. He created us and he called us to do life in community. And the problem is most of us don't want to do this. Let's just tell the truth and shame the devil. Not because we're all anti-community, we don't want to do it because we don't understand it. We don't want to do it because we have been trained to do life independently. We don't want to do it because we really don't know what we're missing. That's the thing about the things of God. Oftentimes, the enemy will present to us a false image and we will grab hold of it, not realizing that there's something that God is trying to show us. I don't know about you, but even before I gave my life to Christ, I was in a delay because I was thinking to myself, if I do this, I'm going to forfeit all fun. I'm not going to be able to live a great life. I'm not going to be able to have any fun. It's just going to be me on the pew all day and all night worshiping and, and reading the Bible. And that couldn't be any fun. 
And when I gave my life to Christ, the, one of the things I remember thinking was I have been deceived. There was a great trickery that took place because I actually believed the lie of the enemy. And when I came into the body of Christ and when I experienced the joy of the Lord, when I experienced the happiness, when I experienced what it was that God had in store for me, I realized I wasted a lot of time because I thought about something in a way that was not the way that God intended. And I think we do this with community because we have this ideal of what it's going to be like if we are vulnerable and we open ourselves up to other people. And that fear is just enough to keep us away from what the perfect plan of God is. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at this of how come we don't actually move into living in community and how we can go about making a change so that we can do the work God has called us to do. So the first thing is, and you guys can be begin to turn your, your Bibles with me. If you don't have one, just kind of raise your hand and one will be provided. We're coming out of the book of Ephesians. And we're going to start with chapter two in just a moment. Most of us are too focused on being individuals. But this individualism is robbing us of the joy, the strength, and the hope that we are so desperate for. And the only way to break the habit of doing life alone, the only way to experience the life we were truly meant to live, is to learn how to live in and amongst community. And this is what this series is all about. For the next few weeks before we get ready to go into our May new series, which I'm excited about, our May new series is what we're going to begin on Resurrection Sunday. But for the next few weeks, as we prepare and as we lead up to this May new series, I want us to explore what it looks like to live life in community. Not just as a group of different individuals, but we're going to learn what it looks like to live as one. To live as one. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions before we read Ephesians chapter 2 together. And you got to answer these to yourself. You don't have to necessarily voice the answer out loud, but I want you to contemplate this. I want you to think about this for a moment. Have you ever discovered that one of the reasons you struggle to connect with others is not them, but you. Contemplate that for a minute. Let's do some honest thinking. Are there multiple failed relationships? What's the common denominator? Are there multiple jobs that end badly? What is the common denominator? You can't find a place to connect. Never feel like you belong. What would be the common denominator? This is how we begin to evaluate because a lot of times we begin to place blame on the external factors because then it becomes easier and we don't have anything we have to address or deal with. But sometimes it's things that God wants to do within us first. Doesn't mean that there wasn't something wrong externally, and probably there was. But what also is God saying? And see, this becomes important when you want to live in community, when you want to live as one, when you want to fulfill the will of the Father. It does require you to do some examination of what he wants to do first in you. 
I'm not saying there aren't times that others haven't left us out or rejected us. I'm not saying that we haven't been the victim of others' hurtful actions. But if we are honest, at least some of the time, when we don't do well in community, it's because of us. And I think we don't understand who we are, what we are, nor do we understand what others are. And if we're going to learn to live in community, we must do this first. So let me give you the short answer to that question, who they are, who we are. And it's going to come out of the chapter that we're going to read. Let's look at it together. It says in the King James Version, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I want to read this also to you in the NIV. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the short answer is when we ask the question who they are and who you are, you are a masterpiece. Somebody say, I am a masterpiece. Now, how does this impact your life? When you live like a masterpiece, it transforms the world around you. And that's the point. You are a masterpiece. I know this requires some reworking. That's why I love when we come to church together and we have this time together because we may have the world giving us all types of signals inputting all types of data and images that don't align with what our heavenly father is saying to us. And we get a chance to reboot. We get a chance to come in here and realign to the word of God because that is the authority over our life. And God's word said, regardless of what your mama said, regardless of what your boyfriend said, regardless of what your boss told you, you are a masterpiece. You got to work with me. I'm not used to not having my hands free here, so it's a little hard for me to <laughs> juggle both. The word handiwork or workmanship can also be translated as masterpiece. We were created by God. We were created for God. And we were created in the image of God. Let that marinate for a moment. You were created by God, for God, in the image of God. So you are indeed a masterpiece. So here's my first question for you. How do I interpret this information that I'm receiving today? If I'm a masterpiece, what do I do with that? Well, the first thing is you live up to your purpose. Someone say live up to your purpose. You are a masterpiece created on purpose for a purpose. So this means we all have a job to do. Because you are God's masterpiece created for good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do, you have a job to do. And one of the greatest ways you can honor God 
One of the greatest ways you live up to your purpose is to do the job he created you to do. This is really important. You may be a masterpiece, but if you aren't living out your purpose, if you aren't doing the job you were created to do, then you aren't living up to your value, your potential. I want to give you a couple examples here. Anybody here a fan of vintage cars? Got one? A vintage car is a masterpiece. I've seen how some people care for their vintage cars. They have them with that sheet that's covering them, making sure that it's not ding, making sure it's not touched. Can you imagine someone with a vintage car loading a, a group of teenagers and taking them to soccer practice with mud on their cleats and bags of stuff? Can you even envision that? It would never happen, would it? A vintage guitar is a masterpiece. Can you imagine somebody letting their seven-year-old bang it around and taking it to show and tell at school? We don't do that with a masterpiece. If you had the original Mona Lisa, the original, could you envision yourself using it to hold or to cover a hole in the wall or papering your birdcage with it? This isn't what we do with a masterpiece, is it? And if you are a masterpiece and you recognize the value that God has placed in you, do you begin to interpret a little bit differently the way that you interact and the way that you move and the things that you do? Since you are a masterpiece, you also have to live up to your purpose. Those things that I gave you examples of, they had a purpose and they didn't allow themselves to be used in a way that is inconsistent with their purpose. That's why the New Testament spends so much time telling us about the things Jesus followers should not do. Not just so he could give us a bunch of rules that make it a little bit more difficult to follow him, but so that we do not devalue who we are in him. He recognizes we are masterpieces. And there are some things we're just not going to be able to do. What is your job? What were you created for? Your job, what you were created for, is to represent Jesus. I need us to catch that because, you know, we live in a day and age where if we turn on social media, we see influencers all the time. We see ambassadors for this company, ambassadors for this brand. Do you understand that you too are an ambassador for Christ? This means how we treat others, how we have conversations, how we manage our time and how we take care of the things that God has entrusted us with. So if you're going to be a masterpiece, if you're going to live up to your purpose, we're gonna to have to ask ourselves this morning, how am I representing Jesus? I always tease you when I say it's deeper than wearing the cross around your neck and the what would Jesus do bumper sticker on the back of your car. It's gonna take more than that. How do we represent him 
to a dying world. I was at a ret- I was at I think I was on a meeting. I was meeting with a, another pastor and we were talking about um, evangelism. And one of the things that we were discussing was just how for some people it's really difficult to share Jesus. And he said, he gave the example, he said, how much do I have to hate you for me to just be comfortable with you going to hell? How much do I have to hate you to withhold the good news from you? And when we begin to realize that, okay, This is our assignment. This is our job. This is what God created me to do. I should be a walking billboard for his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. Whenever someone sees something good in me, I should be able to point them back to him. I was uh, sharing a moment ago with a friend of mine, and she was saying how she was just so excited because She had witnessed what God was doing in my life and how it just pointed her to the goodness of God. And I think that if we're not careful, sometimes we can have certain accomplishments, but then we take the glory. We take the credit because, you know, we worked so hard and, you know, we put in our time and we hustled and we did this and we did that. But if we would being an ambassador for Christ, just to clarify, it's not really that hard. God is all around us. Like we, we were worshiping this morning. His presence is here. God is moving in our lives. All we have to do is just tell the truth and just share what God is doing in our lives. How he delivered us. How he healed us. How he's working through us. How when we think about who we were before we gave our lives to him, how there was just so much chaos and there was so much um, just in, in confusion in our mind, but how we have peace of mind. We, we underplay the blessings of God because we feel like if we haven't accomplished you know, a, a great um, financial feat, then we don't have anything to share. But do you understand that to a dying world, them just knowing that there is a savior, that they have a Lord, that there is someone who has died for them, who has died for their sins, that they would have eternal life and life more abundantly, that there's a life that's more abundant, that they're living beneath their privilege, that they're not receiving their full inheritance, that there's a whole nother life that they have not even tapped into yet. Do you imagine the hope that would bring someone who has not yet found Christ and yet we feel like we're imposing upon them if we share Jesus? Is it that we're imposing upon them or is it that there's something in us that because we're not ready to be an ambassador. We're afraid that they're gonna look and examine us. We're afraid that we're gonna have to account for our actions or for how we talk to people or for how we treat people. So we don't really want to take on the role of being that representative because we know with that comes some responsibilities. Am I asking some tough questions this morning? Never think that what you're doing doesn't matter. When you represent Jesus wherever you are, you are living a life of infinite value and purpose. You are doing your job even if the situation you find yourself in seems incredibly boring and mundane. 
That's why we said we do all things as unto the Lord. I don't care what the job is. We do it as unto God. It doesn't have to be a job in the church. Whatever it is we do, we do it as unto God. Our job is basically to reflect Jesus back to the world. To reflect him back to the world. To continue pointing to him so that when they are lost, when they are looking for direction, that's the one thing I love about sharing Jesus. And sometimes, and we talked about this, I know this was an assignment I gave you a couple weeks back. Hopefully this was a homework assignment you took to heart. But when we really pray and ask God to use us as a vessel, he opens up real natural opportunities to share him with others. It's not often that it's going to require you to grab your Bible and just go knock a person over their head and force them to receive Christ. There are natural opportunities that when we're aware of them and when we are responsive to them, where God has placed someone directly in our path, in the grocery store, in the barber shop, at our job with our friend group, in our parent group that desperately wants to know more about your Jesus. And when we reflect him back to them, when we share him with them, we are making an infinite difference in this world. And I think sometimes we get discouraged because we don't see an immediate difference in that person's life. But some of us have to remember that all we did was plant the seed. We just planted the seed. Somebody else God is going to send is going to water the seed. And guess who's going to give the increase? God is the one that's going to give the increase. That's not our job. The second way you act like an, a, a masterpiece is number two, to recognize the value of others. Just like you were created in God's image, and are therefore a masterpiece. Everyone you interact with was also created in his image and is a masterpiece. And if everyone else is a masterpiece, then you got to ask yourself, how am I treating them? See, we liked it when it was, you know, I am a masterpiece. But then when you have to flip it around, you're like, oh, they're a masterpiece too, huh? I guess I need to be careful how I handle them as well. The more you grow in God, the more careful you are with how you handle his people. You want to be real careful with a masterpiece. Stop and think for just a moment about what that means as we endeavor to become one. Because I love this because when God gave us the vision for Excel Church and he began to share with us what he wants to do through this ministry and bring us together as one, it requires that we continue to come back to the word of God. We, we must see that we must do life in community. And doing life in community only works when we realize that even though we're different, we're made in the image of God. We're made in his image. And when we recognize that everyone else is too, it helps us to be in community with others. That's why the New Testament is not only full of the things that we should avoid to help us to recognize our value, but it's also full of the things that we should do for others. 
because God wants us to recognize their value as well. That's why Paul wrote these words in Philippians 2, chapter uh, 2, if you want to follow with me. I'm just going to read a few verses. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, he says in verse 3. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. Do nothing out of partisanship, out of jockeying for position, campaigning, manipulating to get your way. Selfish ambition and vanity are the status quo for most of the culture. But for those of us who decided to follow Jesus, Paul says, no, that's not how a masterpiece treats another masterpiece. I don't know about you, but Jesus is getting me all the way together this morning. Instead, we must learn to value others above ourselves. This is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus lived and impacted humanity. And when we live like this, we reflect Jesus back to our world. In fact, Paul follows this up in uh, verses five through seven when he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Are none of these scriptures available? You don't think so? Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. The way a masterpiece treats another masterpiece is by making yourself a humble servant like Christ. And do you know the best way to do this? Go back to your purpose. Go back to the job you've been given. Reflect Jesus back to your world by serving others in whatever capacity God has given you to do. So that means if you're a young mom, you are reflecting Jesus to your children. How are you serving them? If you're a husband, you are reflecting Jesus to your wife. How are you serving her? If you're a wife, you're reflecting Jesus back to your husband. How are you serving him? At your job, you are reflecting Jesus to your coworkers, to your employer. How are you serving? In your neighborhood, our brother prayed that we would be a light in this community. How are you serving them? In the marketplace, where many of us do most of our involvement and most of our business, how are you serving the people that you are interacting with? Are you reflecting Christ? Online. Sometimes I think when we get online, we get to a place where we just think that all rules don't apply. People just talk to people crazy, just do all kinds of things they would never do in person. Online, how are we serving him? 
do we reflect Christ? You were created by God and you are a masterpiece. Everyone you come into contact with was created by God, which makes them masterpieces too. So if we're going to live and be one, if we're going to get community right, then we have to recognize this and act accordingly. So let me give you our takeaway for today. Here's the three-step takeaway for my note takers of what we will do. Number one, pray God will help you to realize that you really are a masterpiece. Ask him to reveal it to you. This may be a process for many of us because we have been told most likely something very different and we have to untangle ourselves from the false information that has been given. We can do this in prayer. Ask God to reveal it to you. Ask him to show you your value in his eyes. Ask him to help you see yourself the way he sees you. That's a real important thing. That's why I asked at the beginning of this that God would give you spiritual eyesight. I know most of you were thinking like, well, why won't she say spiritual ears? I want you to be able to see what God sees in you. It's very different than what you see, than what you even see in the mirror. You are something special to God. Number two, Ask him to help you see others the way that he sees them. That's going to start to blow your mind when you start seeing people the way God sees people. I give God all the honor and all the glory and all the credit because when I met my husband 23, 22 years ago, I saw him the way God saw him. It gave me the ability to walk through the storms and to hold on knowing that that was not the end. We've got to start seeing people the way God sees them, not what their current circumstances tell us, not what their current status says to us, not what somebody else told us about them. That's what messes us up a lot of the time. The reputation precedes them. And so before they even enter our presence, we've already written them off. But if we're going to be followers of Christ, God has a purpose for them. And he may just need you to be that one person that sees something in them that nobody else sees. To bring that out of them. So ask God to help you to see people the way he sees them. That's number two. And number three, our final point. Start serving. Don't wait for the perfect time. Don't wait until you feel like it. Begin serving others right where God has placed you. And if we're going to find unity and we're going to be one, we're going to have to do those three steps. So I want us to pray together as we close. Father, we, we just thank you that... You are helping us to see ourselves the way you see us. God, we just come against every word that was spoken that was not of you. We come against word curses. We come against 
the negative thinking. We come against self-doubt. God, we declare that we are who you say we are. God, we believe that we can do everything that you said that we can do. And God, we believe that we are your masterpiece. So God, help us to move in alignment with what you have shown us today. Help us to begin to internalize and allow that to begin to change and adjust the way we operate. God, we thank you in advance for how as we move in this new understanding and as we move with an understanding of who others are, that you help us to see them in a new way. Help us to serve. Help us to love. Help us to be one. Help us to be able to put aside the things that separate us and the things that make us differ so that we can concentrate on the thing that keeps us together. Our love for you. Help us to glorify you in everything that we say and everything that we do. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.